0: it's good to be with you online in person it's just good to be with you we are in week four Of our uh, series on the letter of James, and we have covered a little bit of ground. We're going to wrap up chapter one today in four weeks, so I feel pretty good about that progress. James has talked about so far suffering and temptation, and this idea that our faith in Christ should change everything, especially how we approach those two things. And today, he is going to say something so mic droppingly relevant to our culture and to American Christianity. We could spend a whole month on what he says today. It's just that good. We could dive into it again and again and again. We never reach the bottom of it. It is that important for us as American Christians. So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to see this for yourself. Find your way to James chapter one. I want to set up what James is going to tell us with three different stories. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you part one of these three stories. Then we're going to look at what James says. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you part two of these three different stories. Now, all of these stories, I will tell you this, they are about you, you people. They're about how pulpit rock people are trying to live out this kingdom life that we have been invited into by God in our culture. And i, I got to tell you, I, I, just, I am so encouraged by what I see here. This is one of the things I like most about our church that has most changed me about our church is the way you people live this stuff out and put action behind it. And James is going to call that out in us today. And so really all I want to do today is say, let's just keep going. Let's just keep at it because this is something that I think uh, is true of us. And I want to keep it true of us. So, Three stories. You ready? Okay, awesome, yes. Story one, part one. In 2015, Caitlyn Jenner transitioned to become a woman. And that kicked off a discussion in American culture, discussion is a kind word for it, about transgender people. And despite the fact that many of the people talking did not know Caitlyn Jenner personally, many, many people rushed to weigh in on the issue. That was even true in churches. People asked, what do you all think about this? And famous pastors wrote articles and mentioned it in their sermons and posted on social media about it. And there was this tremendous pressure to say something about trans people. Now, that pressure was made worse the following summer in 2016 when Target decided that transgender people were free to use whatever bathroom they felt most comfortable using. And again, tremendous pressure on churches to say something, and many did. Churches are public spaces. People wanted to know what are you all going to do with your bathrooms? And so again, many Christians weighed in on the issue. Now, pause right there. That's part one of the story. Okay, now we're going to come, up, come back in a minute and pick up part two of this story, but I just want you to remember those days. Story two, part one. In June of 2018, during some hotly debated policy decisions about immigration, a rumor started that the U.S. government was separating refugee and immigrant children from their families and keeping them in cages. Soon photos were released and there was a tremendous public outcry. And again... Many Christians rush to say something about this issue. And I remember that week, multiple people sent me articles from prominent Christians who talk about stuff like this. People that I like, people that I read, Christians that I respect. And the articles literally said, if your pastor doesn't talk this Sunday and condemn the caging of refugee children, then get up and walk out of that church because no follower of Jesus would stand for this without saying something and a few of those articles were sent to me as a pastor of this church with the question what are we gonna say at pulpit rock pause right there that's part one of story two story three part one there's not an official start date but around sometime in 2017 the hashtag MeToo started trending. And woman after woman began to share heartbreaking stories of sexual abuse and mistreatment at the hands of men. What was notable about many of those stories, they cut across all socioeconomic lines and ethnic lines, and it was clear that there is just an epidemic of sexual misconduct in our country and in this world. So then in the summer of 2018, uh, during his confirmation hearing, conservative Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh was accused of sexual assault. And again, everyone rushed to weigh in on the issue. The Me Too movement, Brett Kavanaugh, even within the church, people said stuff. Many Christians said this, this is about the experience of women everywhere. And we should care about the reality, the epidemic of sexual assault. Another Christian said, no, this is about moral decline in our country, and we should care about having a conservative Supreme Court justice, especially because of the issue of abortion. And as a pastor, I was asked this question, will our church speak out about the abuses that women have experienced and began sharing through the Me Too movement? Or is our church going to speak out about abortion? and the importance of conservative judges. What are we gonna say about this issue? Pause right there. That's story three, part one. Now, three stories, right? Just the first part. We're gonna come back to the second part. It was all, we're all gonna feel a lot better afterwards, but it was three stories. I know you don't feel great right now, but can we just observe this? In every story, there is this enormous pressure to say something, to take a stand on an issue. And as a pastor, you know, because we speak all the time, you you feel that pressure a lot to say something. But I bet, even if you're not a pastor, that sometimes our culture has made you feel pressure to say something and to take a stand on the issue of the day. It's one of the downsides of living in the information age. It's an amazing time to be alive, but one of the downsides is because of the way that media works, the news cycle can drive the thought life of so many of us as Americans. Now, I'm not suggesting that the media tells us what to think. It doesn't have the power to do that. We choose our own thoughts, but the media can tell us what to think about And they have perfected this over years and years so that they somehow are very effective at getting us all thinking about and talking about the same issue. And in that, we might feel pressure to weigh in, to state our opinion on the issue of the day. That is the environment that we all live in. Now James, he is gonna say something today that is so potent for believers who live in an environment like that. And I'll warn you, it's going to be a little bit hard to hear. But if we could embrace it, it will be sanity for us in this environment that we live in. And I think that's what we need to do today. I think we just need to take a deep breath, like Roland said. I've thrown a lot at you. Take a deep breath. Let's rise above our culture for a few minutes. And let's embrace what the scriptures teach us. James chapter one, we're going to start in verse 22. He writes this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, or the perfect law of the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Can I just tell you how much I love this verse? Like, uh, this is so good. I just, I love this. And I've studied this a lot. And I would just say this. I su- Summarize all of my study on this verse. Don't overthink it. It means exactly what it appears to mean, right? What he's saying is the blessing comes not in studying the word of God, but in doing the word of God. The good stuff, what you were created for, the stuff that our soul longs for that will satisfy us, that is not in the learning, but in the living of it. You were made to do, and he says, if you forget that, if you get that backwards, then you deceive yourself. And you might think to yourself, oh, I have such an active faith. Look at all that I know. Look at all that I think about. Look at all my opinions. He says, you've deceived yourself, and you just have this like theoretical or this intellectual faith. The great theologian A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, it appears that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. That'll preach. So they hear this stuff, they say this stuff, but they don't do this stuff. And apparently that was a problem in James' day too. It's not just a problem in our day. People were interested in listening. People were interested in talking. People were interested in ideas, but it didn't translate into action. Now, part of me wants to stop right here and go on an hour-long rant about social media, Um, but I won't because we don't have time for that, and my hunch is you would not enjoy it nearly as much as I would. Uh, So instead, let me just say this. Can we just observe social media is 100% about hearing and saying stuff, okay? 100%. There is no doing involved in social media. That's why we're all so addicted to it, because it's so easy and gratifying to get your opinion out there or to click on something. But liking something, posting something, arguing with someone, even if you're arguing over scripture and things that matter, it is not the same as being a doer who acts. And I think James would look at our social media behavior as Christians and say, you're deceiving yourselves a little bit. It feels like you're doing something, but you're not. That's not what it's about. He's saying, uh, he uses this metaphor that it's like you look in a mirror, which most people did not have a mirror in 40 AD. So imagine going your life, maybe you look in a mirror a couple times, right? you understand the concept. But he says it's like you, you look in a mirror and then you walk away and you just instantly forget what you look like. You instantly forget what you saw. And he's saying, listen, the scripture, truth, it is supposed to reveal to us what we are, what we were created to be. And when we just look at it and we take it in, but nothing has changed... We don't align ourselves with that reflection, then Scripture just becomes a silly exercise and a diversion. And James says, instead, we need to look into the perfect law of liberty and become a doer who acts on it and begin to resemble what we see there. Now, we'll talk a little bit more in a couple of weeks about the perfect law of liberty and what he means by that. But the short version is this. What he's referring to is the law that Jesus summed up with the, the phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the perfect law of liberty. And he's saying, if we look at that, that calling on our lives, and it doesn't produce different actions like things that are tangible, that are concrete, that are observable, then we have totally missed the point of our faith. There has to be action in our lives. And if we know a lot of theology, we know a lot of Bible stuff, but we don't look like that law, James is saying, you're deceiving yourselves. People of faith, do something. And then he drops the mic with what he says next. Do kids still say drops the mic? Is that still a thing? I'm trying to be cool with that phrase. Is that, Corey, is that a thing? Corey says it's cool. So uh, he drops the mic and he says something that is so good, especially for us as American Christians. Like, you're not even ready for it. I don't think you're ready for it. Are you ready for it? Okay, a couple of people are ready listen. Brace yourselves. <laughs> grab your neighbor. Hang on. Verse 26. Is that where we are? Yes. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I mean, come on. If ever there was a verse written for us in America, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Brilliant, right? I would submit to you that those two verses were written for America in 2020. Now, I understand this. He's using the word religion in a very positive way here. And occasionally at Purple Rock, when we talk about religion, we talk about it with the negative connotation of the bad stuff that can come with it. But what he's really saying is this. If you think you are spiritual, but those three things are not characteristic of your life, then your spirituality is worthless. That's strong, but that's what he says. Doesn't that make you want to know what those three things are? Well, here they are, thing number one. You're able to control what you say. And the connotation here is not just that we like we never say bad words or anything like that, but the connotation is that we are making our words serve the agenda of the kingdom of God. They're not just coming out of us, but in the same way that a bridle makes the horse serve the agenda of the rider, our words are serving the agenda of God on earth. We bridle our tongue. Thing number two you visit those who are afflicted. And gosh, I love that he uses the word visit because what he's talking about is something that's face-to-face. He's not talking about having an opinion on afflicted people groups. He's not talking about uh, ha- having theories about the systemic nature of their affliction and why that happens in the world. He is talking about showing up and being face-to-face with them and loving on them. Thing three. three you resist being stained by the world. And that requires a little bit of explanation. Now, he's not talking about retreating from the world because it would be impossible to do the other stuff and retreat from the world. He is talking about engaging in the world without buying its mindset. And what's really hard about that is like we're from the world. Like, right, this is the only world that we know. So he's trying to wake us up to this idea that, hey, there's the kingdom of God, and it is a totally different world, and the values and the ways of thinking, they don't always align. And so you've got to recognize and unlearn those things that the world teaches you about how to be. Let me give you a simple example. The world teaches us, for example, that our opinion needs to be heard. You've got to say something. You've got to speak out. Don't be silent. That's why social media exists, right? Because I want people to know what I think. And finally, I have a platform where the entire world can hear my ideas. God's word teaches us not that our opinions should be heard, but that our love should be felt. That our love should be seen. And so as believers, it is totally fine. And I know I criticize social media all the time. I'm on Instagram. It is totally fine to engage in social media. But... We have to engage in something like social media in a way so that it does not stain us and suck us into this way of thinking and drag us into behaviors that compromise our ability to do the better thing, which is love people. That's what he's talking about. Is Yeah, you recognize there's a stain with this thing that the world has invented. And it doesn't mean you got to get off of all social media, but it does mean you have to be aware of that and separate yourself from those unhealthy ways of thinking that you might inadvertently buy into. James says, those are the three things. That's what's characteristic of doers. And it doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are or what you know, if those three things are not true, your spirituality is not worth much. And then I picture him like dropping the mic and walking off the stage cause this intense you see that a lot with James sometimes he can be a little intense in the way he describes things so let me kind of flip it he's describing it in the negative Let me describe it in the positive, okay? Is Jesus has has his way in your life, like as you grow. And we've described that with our four words, right? So Jesus uh, convinces us that our identity is secure as beloved children of God, that he gives us victory over some of our brokenness, that he woos us to this vision of the kingdom, and that he he unites us with partners who we can do life together with. That's kind of the, the picture of what he's doing. As Jesus does that in our life, we will find this to be true that we say less and do more, that we spend time with and love the afflicted and that we unlearn things that the world is teaching us. That to me is as good of a roadmap for healthy spirituality in America as I have ever seen. That is powerful. That is sanity in an increasingly unhinged culture. I think a significant percentage of the problems the church in America has had, honestly, is because we haven't anchored ourselves there. We've been chasing power, chasing popularity, chasing success, instead of just watching our tongues, caring for the afflicted, and staying above the fray of this world. I think that is powerful, culture-changing religion. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like, because I think we gotta see it to live it out. and and just a picture of the difference that this could make if we really believe James. Let's go back to our three stories. Story one, part two. What is our church gonna say about Caitlyn Jenner, Target bathrooms, and transgender people? So in 2015, as the world met Caitlyn Jenner, a team from our church met a little Ethiopian boy. Uh, He was born in a very remote village in Ethiopia, and he was born uh, with a medical condition. He was intersexed, which means that he physically had the markers of both genders, something his parents hid from everyone in his village uh, until he was about eight and his mom had another baby with the same condition. And the midwife saw this, thinking it was a curse, killed that child, and the boy fled the village in fear for his life. It winds up at our church partner in Ethiopia, and they took him in, they found a foster family for him. And in 2016, as our country was arguing over target bathrooms, we brought a need to you related to this boy. As he's beginning puberty, that his condition needed to have some resolution. And that meant genetic testing, so we did it right. It meant surgery, it meant hormone therapy. And in a couple of weeks, you all gave thousands of dollars to this boy um, for all of it, all of the things he needs. To this day, we continue to pay for uh, the hormone therapy that this boy needs. There was something about that, that it, it changed something in me to just be a part of that story. Like you all changed my life because it gave me this vision of a sort of sanity that James is pointing to that we could live out in this unhinged culture that we find ourselves. And while everyone else is arguing about gender, here is an afflicted orphan boy facing major gender issues. And we could have the smartest, like most clever sermon about transgender people that you've ever heard, or we could keep our mouth shut and visit this afflicted orphan. And we chose to do that one. Because that little boy with major uh, gender issues, he didn't need well-formed opinions about gender. He needed doers who act. And that's what you were. And he still does. That's part two of story one. Let me tell you part two of story two. Um, If your pastor doesn't talk about refugee kids in cages this Sunday, You need to leave that church. Uh, I read that a few days before I had to preach, um, when the immigration crisis blew up. In that same year, 2018, you all gave over $40,000 to Syrian, Iraqi, Palestinian, and Yemeni refugees. Families that had to cross a border because they no longer could survive. They could not live because their country had grown so unsafe for them and for their family. And now they're living in corrugated metal and tarp tents. And they're unable to work. They're not allowed to by the country that they're in. They're unable to educate their children. They're not allowed to by the country that they're in. And they're unable to receive regular medical care. And you all gave... Real refugees, real immigrants, a chance to do all three that year. That same year, our uh, ministry, Love Your Neighbor, was blowing up. And we're delivering bunk bed after bunk bed to kids in our city who did not have beds. And you are building beds and funding beds every single month. To date, we've given away 365 beds. That's a year's worth of beds that we've given away as a church because we don't want kids in our city to sleep on floors and couches. Around that same time we started working with Care Portal. What Care Portal does is identify, work with social services to identify tangible needs for real life children in our community in the state of Colorado, they work in a lot of different states. But, uh, and then they bring those needs to churches. So collectively in Colorado, there are 62 churches that participate in Care Portal. And collectively in Colorado, they've served 8,700 children. And of that number, do you know how many this congregation has served? Around 1,500 of those. Like, that is 15% of the total impact by one out of 62 churches. And I don't say that to pat you on the back or say, look how great we are, although you do deserve a pat on the back, and you are really great. That's not why I'm saying that, though. I'm saying that because I want us to recognize that is some pure and undefiled religion right there. And, you know... As your pastor, I look at what you're capable of and I realize this. If me talking about kids in cages would rescue one kid out of one cage, I'd say a million words. I would. But James is telling us, saying the right words has never been what following Jesus is about. Doers who act, they lift kids off of floors and they put them into beds. They educate refugee kids and they pay for it. That's what you all are. And I think even if we could be the church that says the right thing in every cultural moment, it's not nearly as important as being the church that doesn't wait for a cultural moment to act. Story three, part two. Does our church care about the women who are sharing their experiences through the Me Too movement of sexual assault? Or does our church care about life? An abortion. That's not a fair question, but it was asked. And so later that same year, a few months after Kavanaugh was confirmed to the Supreme Court, I had the privilege of spending 17 days in Southeast Asia investigating human trafficking with the Exodus Road. Uh, The Exodus Road is an anti-trafficking organization that through the years you all have given, um, I should have looked up the number, but it is hundreds of thousands of dollars to this organization. And I got to spend some time during that same year holding the hand of girls and boys who are sexually assaulted nightly. It is their way of life as teenage prostitutes. Uh, Later that same year, we heard about three girls who were rescued uh, from a trafficker, but in a vile act, their trafficker had tattooed them. And we brought this need to you all, very unusual need. And in a month, you all gave over $20,000 to have those tattoos removed. I don't know if I know any church that has tattoo removal for prostitutes in their budget, but we did that year. And it was also so those, um, so these three Latin girls wouldn't have to look at those marks for the rest of their life. Not only do you all give to fight against the evil of uh, sex trafficking and all that stuff, but you also give your senior pastor the freedom to participate in that effort. And I also don't know a lot of churches that would be comfortable with that, but you all are, and I'm forever grateful to you uh, that you are. But here's what I'm learning from watching you, from seeing how you all walk this out, is that when our world pushes us with this question, what are you going to say about that issue? Our answer is we're going to bridle our tongues and we're going to do something. We're not called by our Savior to say something about issues. We're called by our Savior to do something for real people. That's what James is reminding us of. And while a lot of people are rushing to say, let me tell you what, what to think about that issue, we want to be the church that shows you what we think. And you can see it in our bank statements You can see it in our calendar. You can see it by who we will visit. And I think James would say to us as American Christians, guys, enough talk, enough talk, enough words have been said. If you've not invested one dollar, if you have not spent one hour, if you've not visited one afflicted person, just enough talk. We don't need another opinion at the table. You are deceiving yourselves if you think that's real spirituality. It's not. What I love about this place is I think we're learning collectively at Pulpit Rock to pursue a faith that actually has value in a world that is constantly trying to push us into its mold where more talk makes a difference. And I I think that is especially the feeling I get in an election year. But we need to keep rising above that and just let's not let that stain us. Let's just keep doing what the scriptures are teaching us again and again and let's leave the arguing to others because we're too busy doing it. That's what I pray for us every week. Let me close with a fourth story. Um, and I just know the first part of the story. So story four, part one, the story starts in September of 2020. It starts today. As you know, the world is in the midst of a pandemic with no end in sight. Some want us to say masks are stupid. Some want us to say masks are essential. Some want us to say this is all a a liberal socialist conspiracy to rob us of religious liberty. Some want us to say conservatives have been asleep at the wheel and they've cost Americans lives because they've been slow to act. And also, after this summer, Our country is newly feeling the reality of racial injustice. And some want us to say black lives matter because to Jesus they do. And some very much don't want us to say black lives matter because they worry about the organization behind the phrase. Some want us to talk about problems with policing in America. Some want us to defend police because they have an incredibly hard job. And also, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's an election year. And as is our custom in America, we have managed to find two equally polarizing candidates. And some want us to talk about which of those two candidates is more distasteful. But also, Let's not forget, we're on the cusp of a worldwide economic collapse and famine that probably won't touch us here in the States much, but will crush the billions of people living below the poverty line worldwide. And also, the realities of human slavery and displaced people people groups and refugees will grow this year because of everything that is happening. And also, here in our city, The stress of this year is causing a mental health crisis and things like domestic violence, unsafe home environments for children, divorce, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, it's all on the rise. I could keep going, but that's probably a pretty decent picture of part one of the story that we find ourselves in. Hear me, I'm not saying we should not talk about these issues I'm just saying that part two of this story we are in will not be about talk. It will be about action. Part two will be written by doers who act, by people who watch their tongue, who visit the afflicted, and who stay above the fray of this world. And Pulpit Rock, we are part two people. It's what we've always been. And I want to encourage you, I don't think it's just us. I think there's a groundswell of part two people in this country that are starting to rise up and listen to what the scriptures actually says and do it and are tired of all the talk and tired of all the arguing and just want to walk it out into real life. Pastor, I love, uh, former NFL player, Dr. Derwin Gray, he says it this way, out of the chaos and dysfunction of American Christianity, God the Holy Spirit is raising up a love your enemies, justice seeking, pro all of life, multi-ethnic missionary community of disciples. And like a rose growing through the concrete, she will be beautiful. And I pray that that is a prophecy that we will see in our time. Um, I, I see this community though as a part of that rose and you're not alone, there's lots of others out there. Uh, but I think this is just the vision that James has for us people. This is what Jesus is calling us to and I cannot tell you how thankful I am to be at a church that is walking that out every day. I know it's more intense than it's ever been, isn't it? I know there's a lot of pressure it's tempting to be squeezed into the world's way of thinking. But listen, you're not alone. We are partners in this, and we are part two people. Let's just keep being doers who act like we were last year, like we were the year before that, and like by God's grace we will be next year. Brothers and sisters, will you stand with me so I can pray over us? God, we come before you as a people and we so deeply long to be what James is talking about, doers who act. Lord, we look into the scriptures and we see this calling on our lives. Help us to not forget that you've destined us for this. Help us to not walk away and be sucked into all the other stuff. Help us to remember what we saw and let it shape us. God, we confess to you as a people, sometimes we have failed to bridle our tongue. We've said wrong things. We've said too much. We've thought our words were what you called us to, and that was wrong, and Lord, we confess it. Forgive us. Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes, uh, even if we want to, it is hard to know what it means to visit the afflicted. There's so much distance sometimes between us and and afflicted people. But we know that you see what it could mean, and you see afflicted people all around us, and we ask that you just lead us to them. Lord, sometimes we confess this when we look at our hearts We see all sorts of stains from the world on it. But you've always been a God who cleanses us. And so we just ask that you would clean us, that you would remove those spots and those stains and give us a vision for the world that we belong to. God, we ask, don't let us be deceived. Don't let us pursue a worthless faith. Don't let us rest with ideas, but lead us forward to action. God, lead us to the sort of faith that is that pure and undefiled stuff that you love. May we love it too. In Jesus' name, amen.